pray together as we approach the Word of God. Uh, our great and glorious God, you shine in infinite light. And we live in this world that is so often characterized by darkness. Help us to walk in the light that Jesus Christ provides. And even at this hour, as we open up your word, I pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, helping, helping us to both see and to savor what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 8. I want to begin our time with a brief story that comes from Max Montgomery. A friend told Max to check out some caves in a remote section of a national forest. Max made plans to go with his son, who was a young adult living on his own at the time, and at the last minute his son needed to cancel, so Max went on his own. And uh, Max loved to explore caves and was always looking for a new one, but this time traveling on his own uh, and getting to the, the park at five in the afternoon, he just wanted to make that a quick trip, look inside the cave and, and out. Max later said, my only plan was to locate the cave, pop in and see if it was a nice cave and come back again later, thinking he would come back the next weekend with his son. Well, Max found the cave and he walked in and he was intrigued. Boy, he loved this cave. And so he, he went in further and further and after about 15 minutes, he decided it was time to turn around, but at that point in time, his light went out. Big problem, because there's jagged edges from the lava, and he had just reached a point where there was a fork in the road, fork in the cave, wasn't sure where to go. So he reached for his backup light, which he didn't pack, and he found in his pack a butane lighter that he could flick and provide some light, but then the draft in the cave would blow out the light. So he made his way just by flicking and flicking his butane, little butane lighter. The cave began to narrow as Max made his way toward the entrance, or so he thought. And he remembered thinking, I don't recall this cave being this narrow. Finally, he reached a man-sized hole and a rope going down the hole. And he looked around and he saw that there was an arrow pointing the other way. Max had been going the wrong way. At just that moment, his little lighter went out. Knowing that there was jagged edges of lava and now knowing that there could possibly be a manhole right by him, and maybe more if he took a wrong turn again, he decided to just sit down with his dog where he sat, about, he sat and thought about his son and waited. Max Montgomery was lost, in, hopelessly lost, in absolute darkness. One of the ways the Bible describes being lost in eternity is in darkness outer darkness. One of the ways the Bible describes being lost in our earthly lives is living in darkness. 
It's a hard thing to be lost physically. Max will tell you that. It's even harder to be lost spiritually. What we don't realize is that left to our natural selves, unless Jesus comes and provides his light, we are in essence in the same circumstance as Max Montgomery. My aim this morning is to show you from John chapter 8 that Jesus can lead you through a dark world. In fact, as we go through this this morning, based on the identity and the person of Jesus Christ, I hope you come to the conclusion that Jesus and only Jesus can lead you through a dark world. I'll add some other scriptures as we go along, but primarily we're going to spend a a good amount of time on John chapter 8, just verse 12. And then we'll run through the rest of the passage, and I've got some other scriptures for you this morning. But I want to show you, I want to give you some reasons why Jesus is able to lead you uh, through a dark world, and just why it is that you need Jesus on a daily basis. So let's look at this. First reason I see that's just embedded right here into the scriptures is that there is a promise of light. We read this in John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus simply says, I am the light of the world. And you know from our time in the Gospel of John, he made seven statements. Jesus made seven statements that began with that little phrase, I am. That goes way back to the book of Exodus chapter 3, where God identified himself as the great I am to, to Moses. So when Jesus uses a phrase, I am, he is claiming to be God. The very same that we can read about in in the Old Testament. If you have Jesus, you have light. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. If you have the light of the world, you need no other light. The book of Revelation helps us here. The very first chapter of Revelation and then almost the last chapter of Revelation describe Jesus in something similar to a a light motif. What we see in, in Revelation chapter 1 the Apostle John gets a glimpse into heaven, and, he, and he's seeing Jesus in his uh, unmitigated glory, if you will. Just gets a, a look at Jesus Christ, and he, he tries to write a description of the person that he sees. And in Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, John says, again, just, just writing down what he sees. His face was like the shining sun in all of its brilliance. Just, just simply Jesus in his nature Leave him alone, unmitigated, look at the presence of Jesus Christ, and what you see is blinding light. The apostles got a taste of this when Jesus was on earth. We call it the transfiguration. There's an event recorded in Matthew chapter 17 where uh, Jesus unveils himself. He's veiled in the flesh, you know, hark the herald angels see, veiled in the flesh the Godhead see, that, that uh, song. So Jesus more or less unveils himself and allows his apostles, three of them, Peter, James, and John, to see his magnificent glory as if they were looking at what John saw when he looked into heaven. And they wrote about this, his face shone like the sun. I think we all know not to stare at the sun. Just this, there is Um, incredible power in the pure glory of Jesus Christ. Well, we're also told at the very end of the book of Revelation that God creates a new heaven and a new earth. That's Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Creates a new heaven and a new earth because this current earth has been impacted by the presence of sin. 
So it creates a new heaven and a new earth. And then there's a, a new city, a new Jerusalem descending from, from the new heaven onto the new earth. And, and the Apostle John looks at this new uh, city, new Jerusalem. And uh, you know what? It'd just be easier if I read it. He, he writes these words in Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to start reading with verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city. That'd be the new Jerusalem. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, that's Jesus, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and, by, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night. Jesus, in his pure glory, is basically for us blinding light. Well, it helps when um, you look at John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. It helps to know this is the same setting as John chapter 7. We talked about this passage of Scripture, the first 12 verses of John chapter, or first 11 verses of John chapter 8. It's a little bit of a force fit in there, but if you read toward the end of John chapter 7, it, it really picks up quite nicely with verse 12 saying, again, Jesus spoke to the people. Uh, the Feast of Tabernacles helps us this way. The setting is important uh, being the Feast of Tabernacles because it takes place in the city of Jerusalem. Um, where every night for eight days, seven nights, every night they, they lit candles um, to provide light in the temple area. Now, at this point in time, you're probably thinking a little votive candle. Or once in a while, you know, we bring out something yay big. Maybe it's a foot, and it's, it's got some depth to it. No, not that at all. There was an area in the temple that we would call the temple square. And on each corner of the square, there were four 75-foot-high candelabras. So a young priest, emphasis on the word young, that would be like your associate pastor, would climb a ladder 75 feet high. And, and a candelabra had four open um, containers that each held 10 gallons of oil. And, and these would be uh, refreshed every day uh, of the Feast of Tabernacles. And then they would be lit at the end of the day and burn all night. So don't think candle. Think floodlight. Four of them in the temple square. This was enough light emanating from the temple, just shooting straight up and ambiance beyond. The entire city was lit. That uh, is a... Um, it's a decent illustration, a decent analogy, because it was at this point in time where Jesus stood up and said, I am the light of the world. However, those temple lights would eventually burn out, and they had to be refreshed each and every day. Jesus, as the light of the world, his light never goes out, never diminishes. There's, there's nothing that can be done to somehow squelch or reduce the light that is inherent within the person of Jesus Christ. 
There is a promise of light. There's also another promise or another claim in verse 12. Light brings life. So I'll just read again from the beginning, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Just going to put this up here for a moment so you can see there's, I didn't change anything. This is verse 12 in three lines so you can see it. And I highlighted in yellow the light of the world and the light of life because if you have the light of the world, you have the light of life. They are one and the same. Let's read this backwards. So just reading from the, the third line, uh, have the light of life, and then I would create the word if and read the second line, if you follow the light of the world, going up to the first light. Notice this invitation is really broad. Whoever follows me, Jesus said, whoever follows, anybody could follow. Nobody is excluded from following the light of the world and enjoying the lights of life. No one is excluded, not Jew, not non-Jew. Educated, not educated, male, female, Roman, Greek, whoever follows me, Jesus said, will never walk in darkness. Why? Because he is the light of the world. What is it that you get? You get the light of life. Your option would be to live your life in darkness or have Jesus as the light of life. The way this is given to us in verse 12 not only speaks of Jesus as light, but implies that in this world, you will have darkness. In fact, I think it, it even implies that the world in its natural state is darkness. You don't need to create darkness. You don't need special circumstances that line up and then it's darkness. You don't need to do anything to somehow move into darkness. That's just simply the world. Just as Jesus in his natural state is life. Don't need to do anything to change Jesus. And he is light of the world. Don't need to change, do anything to change the world. And it's darkness. This is a very sharp contrast here between light and darkness. Whoever follows me will have the light of life and never walk in darkness. He doesn't give shades of gray, if I could use that expression. He doesn't say a little bit of light, a little bit of darkness, but not too much dark. No, it's just very sharp, strong contrast. Light of life or darkness in life. Wow. It's either one or the other. Okay, so let's just pause for a moment of application. I, I want you to be thinking about this and feel the, um, the tension of this passage. What is it that you have to do to position yourself so that Jesus leads you out of darkness? I think there are a number of things that you can do, but here's just simply one. Spend time in the Word of God. Psalm 119, 105, something that the Jews who watched this and actually rejected Jesus would have had. Psalm 119, 
105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Let the word of God so permeate your mind and your heart that your desire and your sometimes knee-jerk reactions move you toward light and not darkness. Well, there's the promise of light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. There is a, um, another promise that light brings life. But there's a third reason why we need Jesus to light our path. And that's because the darkness is real. You need to be rescued out of darkness of this world for two reasons. We are at risk to walk in earthly darkness. It can even happen to Christians. Longtime followers of Jesus Christ go down a certain path. Finally, there is something similar to hitting bottom. They realize, what was I thinking? I didn't see this coming. We are at risk to walk in earthly darkness, but you will never walk in darkness if you follow Jesus. And this is good news because, again, darkness is our natural condition. Darkness is something that Jesus warned us about and can rescue us from. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Love that, whoever. Again, universal. Everybody can receive this offer. Unfortunately, not everybody will choose to respond to this offer. We saw that at the end of this chapter, or excuse me, the end of this section. Verse 30, even as Jesus spoke, many put their faith in him. Why not all? Boy, that'd be a feel-good story. Jesus said this, and he said that, and, and it was hard, and it was kind of heavy, and at the end, everyone put their faith in him. It doesn't say everyone. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. To receive Jesus Christ is to walk in the life. To remain as you are is to remain in darkness. And then Jesus makes a, a hard and heavy um, comment here in verse 24 that's worth a second look. John chapter 8, verse 24. I told you, you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. Dying in your sins is going into eternal darkness. It's the same thing as what we sometimes call hell. We don't like to think about hell. We don't like to talk about hell. From what I gather, you don't like to sit here and listen to me talk about hell or teach about hell either. When I was young in ministry at another church, not here, but at another church, I preached on hell. We were going through some kind of a, um, a little book study, and there it was right in front of us, and it was my turn to teach, and so I taught about hell. And at the end, I was, um, it was at a church with a very long aisle way to get out of the church building, and so it was almost like a receiving line. You're chatting, talking to people, and somebody walked by, shook my hand, and said, hey, that was a very good sermon. And then he let go of my hand, and as they started to leave, he said, although I didn't believe a word of it, and then he was gone. It was, it was too late to ask him why or what. I, I, I take it that the delivery of the message was acceptable to him, but the content of the message was completely unacceptable to him. 
You know, I've, I've thought about that a bunch, and I continue to think about that throughout life because this is not the easiest thing in the world for me to stand up here and tell you that you're in danger of darkness. It's not like I woke up happy today thinking, can't wait to tell them about darkness and eternal darkness and hell and all. Can't wait. It's going to just feel lovely. Um, I've thought about that from time to time, and where I land is simply this. I've got to go with Jesus on this one. I got nothing better than that. I just, I got to go with Jesus on this one. I haven't been there, but Jesus warns us. And he tells us that he can rescue us. So John reacted to this, and when he wrote his introduction to the Gospel of John, what we sometimes call the prologue, so he's not quoting Jesus Christ, but he's looking at the life of Jesus Christ, knowing what he's going to write, and what he's going to emphasize, what he's going to conclude. We really haven't uh, delved into the conclusion much at all, but Jesus, uh, John is trying to present Jesus as the Son of God so that you would believe in him. John writes this fascinating introduction that I think he spends the rest of his gospel trying to explain and, and expand. So John chapter 1, yeah, I still got you in John chapter 8, right? So John chapter 1, just turn to the left a few pages, John chapter 1, verse 1. Let's read the first nine verses of the gospel of John. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, who's that? What's the Word? You know, it's going to be Jesus. We're going to find that out. It'll be Jesus. The Word was, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. You get that light? Just in Him. Jesus didn't have to do anything to conjure up life. He didn't have to pray. He didn't have to ask God. He didn't have to hope for. He didn't work a miracle and conjure up light. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And I would suggest to you that uh, light shines brightest in the context of darkness. Sometimes we resist what we see going on in our culture or what seems to be going on in the world. And we, well, you might have even said to yourself, boy, it just seems like things are getting darker around here. You know what? Great days for the gospel because light shines brightest in the context of darkness. Verse 6, there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John, John the Baptist. That's a different guy, not John the Apostle. John the Baptist came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all people might believe. He, he himself, John the Baptist, he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every person was coming into the world. Well, there are other writers of Scripture who uh, looked at the life of Jesus Christ and the condition of the world, and they use that same contrast, very sharp. Again, not shades of gray, light, dark. They saw that contrast. And I'll put uh, two of these up on the screen so you don't have to flip around on some pages quite so much. So here's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. Now, some of you might remember a book a number of years ago. It's based on this sentence. It was called This Present Darkness. There is another English translation that instead of this dark world, it just says this present 
darkness. And what that book was about was trying to show what it might have looked like or what it might be like to have uh, demons and demon demonic activity running around wreaking havoc with the children of God. So powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil that are in the heavenly realms. But you, you, you notice that as Paul describes it, this dark world doesn't say this moderately dark, this kind of lit world, this dark world. Again, sharp contrast, very black and white there. Here's one more, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. So now Paul is talking about the, the rescue operation that Jesus can do for us. For he, Jesus, has rescued us from the domain or the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. I take it that if we are not rescued and brought into the kingdom, we remain in darkness. That's what we're looking at in John chapter 8. Now, here's something that I'm going to suggest to you. I'm giving you a little bit of a heads up. This is hard to hear. But based on the words of Scripture... Eternal darkness is the natural destination of all people. The good news is that God sent Jesus here to tell us and to show us and to rescue us. We are taught, we are warned about darkness and hell. And then Jesus offers himself as the life preserver, the rescue operation. It's Jesus. And there will be no other rescue operation. There is no one else that is needed because Jesus has done it all for us. We need to be saved both from earthly darkness and from eternal darkness. Just as light is the natural state or condition of Jesus, so darkness is the natural state or condition of this world and all who live in it. Now, not everyone received this teaching. Again, chapter 8, verse 30, even as Jesus spoke, many put their faith in him. What Jesus did in the interim, uh, or in that in-between section that we haven't uh, taken apart just yet, where he says, I'm the light of the world, follow me, you'll not be in darkness. And at the end, we read that many people believed in him. In the interim, Jesus talked very clearly about his unity with God the Father. And it's really hard to read this section as we've been seeing again and again in the Gospel of John. It's hard to read these uh, um, speeches from Jesus, the teachings from Jesus, and come away thinking that somehow he's, he's just different than God the Father, and they're not on the same page, but he's doing his own thing. It's not, it's not that at all. Look at verse 19 of John chapter 8. Verse 19, I'm just going to pick it up in the middle of the paragraph. Then they asked him, the religious leaders asked him, Where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. You see how those two are in tandem. You cannot separate Jesus from his father. If you reject Jesus, you reject the father. If you receive Jesus, you receive the father who sent the son. Now, when Jesus teaches about light and unity with the father, 
there are some who receive that, and there are some who reject that. Okay, so what is it that Jesus said that is so clear and so compelling as to produce the conversion of people who weren't on his team prior to this day? What did Jesus say so that many people would receive him? But also, what did Jesus say that was so hard to hear that not everybody received him? Some received, some rejected. We don't know the numbers or the percentages or the proportions here. What was it in John chapter 8, starting with verse 12, that was so clear and so compelling that people said, uh, I'm in. I, I need you. I want you. I'd like to belong to you. Well, we can see that the needed condition for avoiding the darkness is to follow Jesus. Not just simply having a favorable view of Jesus, but actually following Jesus. But specifically, Jesus says something in John chapter 8, verse 25, that we don't want to miss. Let's take a look at that. So Jesus um, very clearly speaks of his unity with the Father. And then they ask this question, who are you? Now, wait a minute. We are, at this point in time, two and a half years into the ministry of Jesus Christ. As I've been saying, Jesus said things that only God can say. And Jesus did things that only God can do. They really don't need more information. Who are you? They're trying to get off the hook. Watch this. Just what I've been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say to you. Uh, I have much to say in judgment of you. But he who sent me is reliable. And what I have heard from him, I tell you. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. So lifting up is a reference to crucifixion. And again, there's an Old Testament allusion that's, that's just gold. We don't have time to go there. But it refers to lifting up uh, for the Israelites something that they could look upon and have faith that God had, had done this thing and, and, and survived in the wilderness. Here Jesus is saying, I will be lifted up. You will know that I am he when I am lifted up. And I speak just what the Father has taught me. Wow. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. That's the fourth time in this passage that Jesus has said the Father has sent him. But I really want to camp on that phrase, I am he. Now that's different than I am. I am, we understood, to be a reference to Jesus being uh, God. There's, there's a full, fullness of deity is, is, is Jesus. I am. But now he takes it a little bit further and he says, I am he. What does that mean? Wow. Okay, well, that, that took me a while to figure out. And then I remembered, oh, we've got some gold here in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, which is a, a, such a well, like, I think the ought to have been the favorite prophet of those who are standing there querying, arguing with, with Jesus Christ. So I'm going to read to you three, three passages from Isaiah. I'm not going to put them up on the screen, just going to re read them to you. Isaiah 41.4 is the first one. See if you can notice a pattern in these three passages in Isaiah that I read. It might have something to do with I am he. Here we go. Isaiah, Isaiah, 
Isaiah chapter 41, verse 4. Uh, picking up in the, in the, really, it's in the middle of a, of a prophecy. Here we go. Who has done this and carried it through, calling forth the generations from beginning? I, the Lord, with the first of them, and with the last, I am He. Talking about the, uh, the helper of Israel. Who's this great helper of Israel? I, the Lord, with the first and with the last, I am He. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10. Israel, um, only Savior. Their only shot is to look to God. And um, you can even apply that, that type of precision to the person of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 43, verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and that you may believe and that you may understand. Boy, those are good words. That you may know, believe, and understand that I am He. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord. Apart from me there is no Savior. One more, Isaiah chapter 48, verse 12. So if you're keeping track, actually I think I put these on the notes for you, but Isaiah 41, 4, 43, 10, and now 48, 12. Listen to me, O Jacob, which is what they sometimes called Israel. Listen to me, O Jacob, Israel, whom I have called. I am he. I am the first and I am the last. So when Jesus says, I am he, what he's saying to the uh, religious leadership in Jerusalem of Israel is he's saying, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I am the one that's predicted in the Old Testament. I am the one you have been waiting for. I am he. Wait no longer. You don't need to live in darkness another hour, not another minute, not another second. I am he. That's the force of how Jesus is expressing this to the religious leadership. And in that situation, that truth is so compelling to those who are open to receive Jesus Christ, that many place their faith in him right then. And yet at the same time, that truth is repulsive to those who have already made up their minds about Jesus Christ. Okay, so to restate the flow of Scripture in John chapter 8, this passage begins with Jesus saying, I am the light. I am the light of the world. This passage ends with the Apostle John saying, many, not all, but many put their faith in him. And in the in-between time, we have Jesus telling us who he is, speaking of unity with the Father, and describing himself as the Messiah, the one that Israel has been waiting for. So we have in this chapter the promise of light, the promise that light brings life, and a warning about judgment. Anticipating the response of the Jews and their, the uh, religious leaders and their rejection of him, Jesus tells them, I mentioned four times in this passage, that he is sent by God. In other words, that's an issue of authority. Where does Jesus get off saying this stuff? He is sent by God. Now, you might remember in John chapter 2, when we looked into the early days, uh, early portion of the ministry of Jesus Christ, uh, John shows as his first miraculous 
Well, actually, uh, skip that part. I was going to get into an, another part of John chapter 2. Let's just go with the temple. Uh, John chose as the first really a demonstration of authority that Jesus had was to cleanse the temple. So Jesus basically takes charge of the temple, clears out the money changers and the vendors and the animals and, and people who are crowding out. Uh, should have been the nations who are streaming to come to know God in some way. But he, he cleansed the temple. And the uh, religious leadership was so angry with him. And really what they wanted to know, what gives you the authority to do this? They said in John chapter 2, verse 18, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? So Jesus, anticipating that they're still stuck on authority, tells them, four times the Father has sent me. I'm not here on my own. I'm not making up stuff. I'm not speaking on my own agenda. The Father has sent me. People living in darkness cannot process that truth. The Holy Spirit needs to do a work in the life, the mind, the heart of someone so that they can understand Jesus is the light of the world. Okay, so Jesus is being as clear as possible. I am the light of the world. I have been sent by the Father. I am He. I am the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. It could not have been any more clear. Except some would choose to live in darkness. Okay, a couple of questions for you. What will you do differently this week knowing that Jesus is the light of of the world. What will you do? What will you do differently this week knowing that you are living in a dark world? Whatever will you do? I need to finish that story about Max. On Monday morning, a co-worker became concerned because Max didn't show up for work that day. He made a few calls and found someone that had heard Max speak of his plans to explore a new cave over the weekend. So a few more calls were made and a search team was gathered together and they searched various parks around uh, the state of Oregon, kind of near where he was, driving distance where he was. They found his car in a parking lot and they looked around some more and they found the opening to a cave. So their search team gathered their supplies and whatever they needed to make a safe journey into the cave and and uh, safely come out. They sent a search team into the cave and they found Max. Three days after he went into the cave and two miles from the spot where he went into the cave. He was dehydrated, he was exhausted, but he was alive. Jesus and only Jesus is able to rescue you. Jesus and only Jesus is able to Dispel the darkness of the human heart. Your hope is Jesus. Look to him. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you that Jesus came here to tell us in no uncertain terms, he's the light of the world. That makes a little bit more sense now that we uh, hear the other side, that there's darkness, because we've been living that way far too long. And sometimes those of us who follow Jesus Christ, we still like to dabble in the darkness. 
we enjoy a few moments here and there. We would appreciate uh, an hour or two in the darkness. Dear God, I pray that you change that within us. We want to run from the darkness. We want to hate it. We want to be able to see darkness coming when it's just around the corner and go with Jesus at every turn. We want nothing to do with the darkness because there's nothing good for us in the darkness. We want the light of Jesus. Show us how on a daily basis that we could read something in your word and understand more of who you are and the life that you set before us so that we can live our lives in light following Jesus Christ. It's him we need. It's him we want to follow. Lord Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. We worship you this morning. We acknowledge that you were Israel's Messiah. You are the Savior of the world. You are the Son of God. And this morning, we are just saying again, one more time, Jesus, it's you we want to follow. Please, O Holy Spirit, give us the insight, the wisdom, and the strength that we need to follow our Savior Jesus each and every day. In his name I pray, amen.